0: Welcome to Imaginal Inspirations with me, David Lorimer. This is a podcast in which I ask my guests about experiences, people, and books that have inspired their life and work. My guest today is Professor Kim Penberthy, the Chester F. Carlson Professor of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. Kim is deeply interested in meditation, mindfulness, contemplative practices and the intentional alteration of consciousness. Kim is a board certified clinical psychologist and conducts research, teaches and provides clinical care at the University of Virginia in psychiatry and at the cancer center. Her research interests include studying the mind body relationship and exploring human consciousness, as well as extraordinary human experiences and abilities about which she has recently spoken at our Beyond the Brain conference. She is a founding member of the University of Virginia Contemplative Sciences Center and founding member also of Be Wise, which is dedicated to promoting mindfulness, wisdom, and compassion in medicine. She is active in the American Psychological Association and has recently published a book with her yoga and meditation instructor daughter on living mindfully across the lifespan. So a pleasure to have you on the episode, Kim. And I'd like to start with asking you about a, a shaping moment involving your choice of work.
1: Absolutely. And I want to say thank you for having me. It's uh, wonderful to, to be with you and to be speaking in November with your group. So I feel very honoured. I love talking about how I got interested in this because to me it was so natural. As a young person, I think I was just born with some unique curiosities. And early on, I thank my parents because they really fostered that. Some of the early experiences I had just came naturally to me. For instance, I remember looking in a bowl of water and taking a towel, a piece of cloth and lifting it up and seeing things in the water and asking my mother about this, what what were those things? And she said, "Well, those are our visions." I think my mom was a Wiccan, before, mm. but didn't even know it. And so that was just treated very normally, as if um, yes, there are things that can happen that you can't maybe explain. And I became very very comfortable with that.
0: Now that's an important thing to happen at an early stage, was it? As you say, it's sort of formative influence, and mm-hmm. if parents can encourage that, then all so much the better. And then when you were getting into your professional work, did did you have a particular mentor who who was very important to you?
1: Well, a lot of the mentoring I got early on was from reading. And I think you and I have spoken about in the past um, my love of books and and being exposed again in the home to readings uh, by Emanuel Swedenborg and Kurt Vonnegut and this wide variety where I really learned... Again, this idea that maybe things work in ways I've never even thought of. I credit Kurt Vonnegut for that. He was a popular writer way before I was around, and yet a lot of his teachings really promote open-mindedness and thinking about things in different ways. And perhaps there's pieces that were missing and may be able to figure out and may never be able to figure out. And so I sort of took that with me and sought out people who would be at least receptive to that open mindedness in in my education, for sure. And I do credit many professors for being open minded to some of my ideas that I'm I'm sure they could have easily rejected.
0: Yes, you're pushing the boundaries already. at that stage. And you mentioned books. What was most influential? One of the one or two of the books that were most influential in shaping your ideas.
1: So I think, you know, I read a compendium of work by Emanuel Swedenborg. And as a young person, I had the freedom to interpret it the way I wanted to. And I was so grateful um, later on that I read it outside the, the rubric of a a theology course or a philosophy course Um, because that work really I could interpret it in a way that it was meaningful to me and then go back as I matured and reread it and so I think that really above all had had such a significant impact.
0: Relatively unusual although um, you and I both know that Swedenborg has had enormous influence on people particularly in the 19th century on Emerson and Balzac and uh, Baudelaire and French poet. He's striking in his range and also in his very natural approach to things that people would regard as completely out of the box. He also influenced William James. Was William James an influence on your, your thinking?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and I think you, you really said it quite well that it was that combination of effortlessly assuming that science is legitimate and worthwhile and that these other things are legitimate and worthwhile. And they both can be true in a single person, in our life, in reality. Reading that early on and, and almost like getting permission from someone of that stature through his writing helped set me up for that open-mindedness the remainder of my life.
0: Yes, I I agree with that. You also find that the sort of opposition that Swedenborg had from Kant is not unlike the opposition um, that we get from the kind of work we're still doing, just for listeners who are not familiar with this. Kant was satisfied that Swedenborg's extraordinary experiences, as described, were actually veridical. They actually happened. He sent his own investigator to uh, make sure or to check up on it bit of detective work, and he was one of the few people to buy the first edition of Arcana Celestia, which is you know, his symbolic interpretation of the Bible. But then he wrote in 1766, Dreams of a Spirit Seer, uh, where he made fun of Swedenborg, and he couldn't even spell his name right, or he deliberately <laughs> spelled it wrong. This, I think, is an early 18th century spat between the philosophers who find it difficult to look into and assess the significance of transcendent experiences and those who are researching and experiencing them themselves.
1: You're right. I agree.
0: And I think William James probably had, a, had the same issues. And so we're, we're at a frontier, put it that way. Yes. So moving on from that aspect, was there a key moment of insight you had in, in your work in relation to the uh, nature of consciousness?
1: I think there have been multiple. I will try to to focus on one. I think early on I had encounters again with my parents who I who I give a tremendous amount of credit to with questioning and and getting responses back that helped inform me to the nature of consciousness that reality is is not the same thing to everyone which again I give credit to that knowledge or that idea for, for my work from that point on. And so there were examples of, of that where I would present something to them. I would ask a question and I would get very different responses and I would integrate them. So my father was a surgeon and I remember asking him, this is the kind of nerdy little child I was, uh, what is the purpose of life? Yeah, And he quite quickly, without hesitation said, oh, that's quite easy. It's to reproduce. And so he was coming from that very biological side. And yes. and then I went to my mother and asked the same question. And she said, oh, that's quite easy. It's love. And, you know, I was left then with this and having to integrate it. And I loved that. And I also learned from both of them to be okay with not knowing and okay with pursuing knowledge. And I think that's sometimes a lost art now to be okay with not knowing.
0: Indeed, yes. Uh, and that was exactly what Ian McGilchrist was saying in his episode, that you, you have to look at both sides of the question and also keep things open because there are things that we don't know yet and which we need to to remain open to. Have you had any, what you might call, epiphanies uh, connected with, with nature or music?
1: Oh, my goodness. Growing up, I, I grew up in West Virginia, and... We were outside all the time. So I was maybe that last generation that was barefoot outside. And I remember from an early age just going and lying face down on the grass, on the ground. And we lived at the top of this big mountain. And just really, I could feel the earth and the energy and supporting me and pulsating and just that was so safe and secure feeling. And I knew everything was going to be all right. I knew there was sort of some, I felt like some guardrails in life. I might not know everything and I certainly had some control over aspects of my life. And yet there was this plan that I felt for sure. And, and music comes with that. For me, the music of nature is probably the most beautiful so inspired by nature or, or actually listening to the sounds of nature, it's very, very inspiring.
0: Yes, I have a similar experience. Of, I remember as a, a child lying on the grass and smelling it and the, the smell of the grass and the soil um, was just extraordinary. And I spent a lot of my um, early life up trees um, as well. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I can I can resonate with that. And then my my grandfather was someone who was he was an architect. He loved getting up for the dawn chorus. And I understand that when he had people to stay at our house, that he would actually get them up um, at, at four o'clock in the morning to to listen to it. And I, I can sympathise that because I think that's a glorious way of, of greeting the day.
1: Absolutely. So, I, I spent sure. a lot of time on the water as well. We ah. had. Rivers and lakes. And I, I recall one distinct time being on a very still lake. And it was just spectacular. It was just absolutely breathtaking. And I remember thinking, Am I in heaven? Is this, have I slipped into heaven? Is this what this is? Could that be possible that I don't even know? I'm in that place that we're all striving for, uh, you know, in the religion I was brought up in, in, in Methodism. And uh, that just was striking to me. That I I wasn't sure if I could tell the difference or not. How would I know? And and that's always stuck with me. That maybe this is the state of consciousness of heaven that I was rewarded with.
0: (laughs) Very interesting. It sounds like a a sort of non-dual experience to me. You know, an experience of,
1: uh, of
0: being seamlessly united with your surroundings, so that you don't sort of separate yourself off from them, and you're just immersed in them. That was
1: exactly what it was, yes.
0: I know the feeling. And then, just extending this a little bit, um, how does your understanding of consciousness influence the way you live?
1: Well, I work with patients, so I'm a researcher and a clinician. And I think it has helped me tremendously in my work and in, in my life in general, especially in my work Because I I see that people have different experiences with altered states of consciousness, with their understanding of what consciousness is. And yet, with many of their professional doctors or professional interactions, they've not had the opportunity to be open about that. And for me, that ability for them to share with me and for me to express openness to those ideas and really explore that with them Has been very therapeutic for them and and also helped them move beyond even pathology to thriving. I see that that's impacted my life as well. My openness to understanding and openness to experiences without that that anxiety uh, of judging it. So an extraordinary experience that I had as an adult furthered that even. And my belief that we probably all have these exposures. And if we would allow that to sink in, we would grow so much more tremendously as a global consciousness. And my experience was with my um, mother, who's now deceased. She died quite young. And we were at the beach. I was in my 20s. It was just her and I in the coast of North Carolina. We were on the sand and drowsy and I was asleep. I had covered my face with a towel She'd murmured that she was going to go get in the water and I was drowsy and didn't really pay much attention. And the coast of North Carolina has a lot of riptides and currents that can suck you out. Multiple people die every year. I was asleep, but I woke up with some murmuring further down the beach. And so I got up on my elbows and looked and I saw there was some activity, but the lifeguard was there. So I I didn't worry about it. I couldn't see well, the bright sun was hard to see because my eyes had been closed and covered. And then I looked again and, and I saw that it was my mother being carried out of the ocean. One side, she had um, the lifeguard carrying her. On the other side was this older gentleman who looked quite odd because he had long pants on and uh, a hat. But I thought, oh God, she's safe. But I remember being very, very calm and I just stayed put because there were so many people gathered. And she walked up and I had sat up by this time and I said, are you okay? She said, yes, yes, I'm fine. She laid down. I laid down. She said, it's okay, lay down, it's fine. And then I just sort of thought about it and I said, well, mom, who, who was that older man? And she said, that was my grandfather. I mean, I still get goosebumps. I
0: well, just gave you the answer straight out.
1: Absolutely. Without,
0: without and, saying what do you mean, and no.
1: I had the history of knowing that she had been primarily raised by her grandparents because of unfortunate circumstances with her mother and father, and that she was very close to him. I never met him. And uh, so I think it was two things experiencing that and then having it be so matter of fact.
0: It takes us back to Swedenborg in that. In right, a, right. I think that what you said earlier is also very important, which is that. By being open, and I, I had a similar conversation with Larry Dossey, you somehow exude that openness so that people feel it's okay to tell you things that other people, they they might snap them off. It's almost as if there's some field that one creates, sort of field of possibility and openness that opens other people up, which in many cases, as you have just said, these are the most important experiences.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and you want to tread lightly on them you don't want to be dismissing them and say that well that's a load of nonsense that also covers the point of uh, you know an experience that shaped or changed your life do you have any proverbs you live by or or favorite quotations I I don't know whether you're a quotation person
1: (laughs) I'm not so much of a quotation person I, I do have one that was attributed to Plato I have no idea if that's accurate or not but it is that wonder is the beginning of wisdom. I really like that because I think the wonder is, in, is what we're talking about. It's that openness that really does lead to a particular kind of wisdom, maybe not the ultimate wisdom, but wonder in and of itself is quite exquisite and opens
0: up possibilities. I very much like that. That links in with what you said earlier about curiosity. It has an emotional and spiritual component as well. I think the word the word wonder, and also wondering about I, I wondered about it. So there mm-hmm. are multiple mm-hmm. uh, layers to that word. Plato also said that time was a moving image of eternity.
1: That's, that's true. that's a very good a very good point. absolutely. Yes.
0: yes. And then, if you were able to look back and give some advice to your younger self, um, would you have any to give from where you are now?
1: Oh, I would, I would cheer myself and say, keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, maybe even give yourself permission to pursue it even further. And, and thank your mom and dad, too, for, for being open.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that's clearly, that's a very important thing for you. The fact that you were enabled, as it were, by your parents to, and also to balance the, you know, the spiritual and the scientific you can see from what you've said that the love and reproduction and all the, all the biology or the medical <laughs> and surgical approach they, these are all important but yeah. they do they do need to be integrated is there anything else you'd like to add isn't more generally out of our conversation Kim.
1: no i think this has been very very exciting and i really appreciate the opportunity and and to to share this and to get to know you better as well
0: Well, thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure to to talk to you. And I'm sure our listeners will learn a great deal from what you've been sharing with us, Kim. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Be well and take care.